Good morning, church. It's great to be with you all today. Uh, Welcome, wherever you're joining us from, especially if you're with us for the first time. Uh, We regularly have folks worship with us from all over the Metro DC area, from all over the country, and even from all over the world. Um, It is, as always, a joy and a privilege to be with the family of God today. For the last few weeks, we as a church have been on a journey. We've been following along with a book written by Rich Viotas, pastor of New Life Fellowship up in New York, that explores what it means to pursue the deeply formed life, a life rooted in the ways of Jesus. Each week, we have explored a different value, contemplative rhythms for an exhausted life, racial reconciliation for a divided world, interior examination for a world living on the surface. And this week, the theme is sexual wholeness for a culture that splits bodies from souls. Sexual wholeness for a culture that splits bodies from souls. Years ago, I listened to a sermon series at another church that was entitled For Maturing Audiences Only, and that feels appropriate for today. So feel free to make discerning decisions about younger ears that may be in the room. I want to name from the outset that any mention of sex in a church setting may raise your discomfort level, like watching a romantic movie scene with your parents. That may be for any number of reasons, not the least of which is that the church doesn't have a particularly good record when it comes to matters of sexuality. I know that many of you, many of us, whether we grew up in church or not, have been hurt by Christians, by pastors, by the church when it comes to issues of sexuality. You may have experienced harsh, restrictive, imposed rules or legalism. You may have been given simplistic, even if well-meaning advice that did more harm than good. You may have been told or taught explicitly or implicitly that anything to do with sexuality, being queer, being addicted to pornography, having sex before marriage, it's the worst sin. And, or or that, that sex is bad until you're married and then it's good. Or that marriage is the goal to aim for somehow a better existence than being single. Historically, the church has wreaked a lot of damage on people's lives around the area of sex and sexuality. And so let me begin by saying, as I said back in May, when we last talked about human sexuality, that if you've been hurt by the church, by pastors, by Christians, if what we have said or done has not reflected the love and grace and healing and welcome of God, let me say as a pastor, a representative of the church and of this church, and as a Christian, one who's committed to living and loving like Jesus, I'm sorry. Thank you for being here. For others, there is fear around this topic, that some of those hurts I just mentioned, some of those wounds, some of those scars will get opened up again, or that words will be carelessly and uncaringly thrown around. There may be fear because of shame that we feel on account of our own sexual brokenness, Some of us feel shame because of what we've done. Others feel shame because of what we've had done to us. And either way, maybe having your pastor even mention sex or sexuality instinctively triggers your defenses and raises your walls and causes you to tense up. And it's taking everything within you not to turn away right now. And again, I'm glad you're with us. I don't think it's an accident that you're here and that you're hearing this. There may be yet others here who are still learning what it means to follow Jesus let alone what it has to do with sex and sexuality. You may not carry the baggage or scars that many people do who grew up in the church, but maybe you carry baggage and scars from what you learned about sex and sexuality from the culture. You too may experience shame about what you've done or what you've had done to you. You may feel like you have to hide your past in order to fit in here. 
that you have to have it all together to be here in church, even if we're behind the so-called safety of screens. And to you, let me say, this is a place where it's okay to not be okay. This is a place where all of us are invited as we are to experience the life-changing love of God. And I want to thank you for being with us too. Real talk, I will not be able to address everything you might want me to talk about as it pertains to sex and sexuality. Pastor and author Deb Hirsch is quoted in Rich's book describing sexuality as a longing to know and be known by other people on physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual levels. And I think that's a good way to think about it. Each of the topics we've raised over the last month is, is broad and expansive and could be a months or even year-long series in and of itself. And this week is no different. There may be questions you want answered that I will not address. And I will raise questions and offer answers that you may prefer I didn't, or, or you might not fit, think fit what, what you think of when you think about sexual wholeness. My hope in, in this small sermonic offering is that I might put forth something both universal enough to speak to all of us and specific enough to say something to you. And then that something might be the good news of Jesus Christ brought to bear on you and your life and this world. Because there is no corner of our lives and no arena of this world to which the gospel of Jesus does not offer liberation and healing and grace. If I could sum up what today's message is relating to seeking sexual wholeness in a culture that strips bodies, splits bodies from souls, it might be this. <clears throat> Our bodies matter and what we do with them matters. Our bodies matter and what we do with them matters. This is how the Apostle Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 6. And I want to read from the message in hopes that maybe hearing it in contemporary language might help it land a little better. Paul writes, since the master, Jesus, honors you with a body, honor him with your body. God honored the master's body by raising it from the grave. He'll treat yours with the same resurrection power. Until that time, remember that your bodies are created with the same dignity as Jesus' body. Didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for. The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. Let people see God in and through your body. Our bodies matter and what we do with them matters. It is true that sexual wholeness is not just about our bodies and what we do with them, but it is also true that we do not experience any part of this life apart from our bodies. As much as this pandemic has physically and socially separated so many of us from one another to the extent that sometimes almost all we know of ourselves and of others is a face on a screen, in spite of that, you are not a disembodied mind or a floating head or simply a mass of feelings. Your body is part of you. Our bodies are the vessels through which we experience this world. All of my encounters with God's creation and God's creatures have been mediated through this body. Today, I want to approach this topic of sexual wholeness in a different way. American psychologist Carl Rogers said, what is most personal is most universal. And so today I'm going to share parts of my own journey in this arena with you. Some of you 
especially if you've been part of this community for a while, have probably heard parts of my story before. I've shared bits and pieces over the years. I do want to name that this is my story. And I'm sharing this as a now married, heterosexual, cisgender, Chinese American male. And I speak all of that out to name my privilege, to acknowledge the perspective with which I see the world, and to confess that I still have blind spots in my understanding of sexual wholeness. I'm also on a journey. I'm still learning and healing and growing up. And just because I'm a pastor does not mean I have it all figured out. Here we go. The first time I dated or even kissed a girl, I was 19 and in college. But the first time I saw a picture of a naked woman, I was 13 or 14. Back in the days before high-speed internet, a couple of friends and I were hanging out after school, and they had pulled their money together to buy a dirty magazine from a corner store because that's what you had to do in those days. I saw something that day that I'd never seen before. Now, I was raised in a family that didn't feel particularly comfortable talking about issues of sex, and I grew up in a church that also didn't feel particularly comfortable talking about issues of sex, apart from the expectation that sex be saved from marriage because sex outside of marriage is bad, which is rather cyclical logic. But anyway, seeing those images, my curiosity was piqued, and going through puberty only helped to escalate the situation so that by the time I was in college, Even though I had recommitted my life to Christ after a couple of years of drifting, I was addicted to pornography. And now it was free, online, and easy to access. I don't know that I would have called it an addiction at the time. That's what it was. Giving in to temptation, the temporary thrill, the shame and the guilt, the confession to God, but usually not to anyone else. The promise to God and to myself that I would never do it again, that I would be better. And I would be for a day or two or even a week or a month. And then I'd slip up and go through the cycle all over again. In the language of eating disorders, this is binging and purging. And it applies in the same way to most addictions. <clears throat> and so there I was. I had just started leading worship at church. I was seeking to follow Jesus with everything I had. And yet I was in the grip of a hidden addiction. I would lie about what I was spending my time doing, about why I was so tired. Every time we sang in church about surrendering to God or we talked about confessing our sins or naming those things that so easily entangle us, I knew what I needed to give up. I knew what was holding me back. But even though I was praying about it, even though I was genuine and sincere and desperate in my desire and attempts to be free from it, I didn't know how to stop. I knew this was not what I should be doing. I knew this was not the healthiest way to be in my body, to be using my body. Paul's words would haunt me. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. And yet Romans 7, 19 still described my life. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. I had seen God's power at work in other ways in my life and in other people's lives, but I wondered if God could bring me freedom in this. Let me pause here and ask, what are you wrestling with when it comes to this notion of sexual wholeness, when it comes to this idea that our bodies matter and what we do with them matters? Maybe your struggle is the same as mine was. 
It's estimated that porn addiction affects, affects between 5% and 8% of the adult population, but one study I read cited that nearly 95% of boys and two-thirds of girls will now be exposed to it before they turn 18. And many more may not reach the level of activity that qualifies as addiction. Maybe the shame, and, and that's a good indicator to us of what we need to bring attention to and work through. What is it that we're inclined to hide? Maybe the shame is triggered by something you were taught growing up. That unless you remained a virgin until you were married, you were somehow less than, somehow spoiled. Or that your desires or your questions about who you are, especially if you identify as LGBTQ, made you somehow less than or somehow other. Maybe it stems from something that happened to you, from what was done to your body. Sexual trauma, no matter what age, but especially at early ages when we are most vulnerable, leads to so much shame and guilt and often as a result to acting out to the pursuit of unhealthy things as we try to find anything to take the edge off. These last couple of weeks, I saw some well-known women, one a congresswoman and the other two actresses, share how their experiences with sexual trauma even years ago, even more than 60 years ago in the case of the late Dame Cicely Tyson, impacted them long after the incidents themselves. But I've also heard the stories of friends and loved ones. And the likelihood is that you have two or that those stories are yours. What are you holding in the dark? What is shame trying to keep hidden? For me, the gateway into pornography was part curiosity, part hormones firing, part not knowing what to do with these strange and titillating feelings. <clears throat> but as I think back, what lay beneath all of the behavior was the good and natural and very human desire to love and be loved, which had, not, which had found its way into a channel not made for it, a vessel not worthy of it. I wanted to be with somebody and I wanted to be wanted, neither of which seemed to be getting any closer to being fulfilled, neither of which I seemed to have any control over. I mean, you can't make someone fall in love with you. And so I turned to what I did have control over. And then it took control of me. In that season of my struggle, the deliverance that God brought came in the form of the guy who's been my best friend now for almost 20 years. We met at church. We were both at the same university. And in summer 2002, we both ended up going on a mission trip to Uganda. And while we were there, we got to know each other. We discovered how similar we were in our temperaments, in our family backgrounds, in our hobbies, in the, the football team we both supported, and in our struggles. I remember the weight lifting off my shoulders when I realized I wasn't the only one dealing with this kind of stuff. When I realized I could talk about it with someone. Shame loves the darkness of isolation because that's where it thrives. Shame would prefer that you never talk about it because then you'll never confess it and then you'll never deal with it. And that's especially true with sex and our sexual selves, which can already feel like a private matter or at least a matter that we need to be discreet about. And I do think there's an appropriate care that should be taken with those to whom we entrust our stories. But shame can add a whole other level of isolation to an already hushed topic or experience or scar. That's why confession is, is such a key part of the healing process because you have to name something to diagnose something before you can properly deal with it. Confession is not just naming the things we've done wrong. Sometimes confession is naming the things that have been done to us. 
James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another. And not all of the things we need to confess are sins. It says, pray for one another so that you might be healed. Who are your people? Who are your people? My people over the years have been my best friend and other friends, loved ones, therapists, spiritual directors, and other pastors. We need other people. We need the words of Jesus spoken by those who love us. We are to one another, Jesus in flesh and blood. Whether it's the the struggles and challenges of, of, of marriage or of being single or of dating, of maintaining a kingdom perspective on intimacy and sex or of dealing with pornography or addiction or the brokenness that just comes from growing up and existing in a broken world with broken people and broken systems and broken stories, let me strongly recommend that you have at least one person in your life to whom you tell everything. If you have a significant other, they should be someone with whom you share everything, but they absolutely should not be the only one with whom you share everything. That is more weight than one person was made to carry. So who are those people in your life to whom you tell everything, who know you and love you and desire the best for you, who love God, who can speak words of uplifting encouragement or serious and honest challenge as the situation demands, who can pray over you the prayers you may not have the faith to pray and whom you've invited and empowered to help you better live in and live out the reality of God's kingdom. Who are your people? A pastor by the name of Johnny Grant said this, human sexuality when expressed well is the very beauty of heaven embodied in priceless instruments. When we live out the reality of true intimacy with God and with others, when we allow Jesus and his kingdom to define the ways we seek to love and be loved, when we hear the Spirit's words of belonging and acceptance, no matter what we have done or what has been done to us, the very beauty of heaven shines through. Now, I could say I think porn is unhealthy and generally exploitative, and it warps how we interact with others, how we think about others, so stop watching it. I could say I think sex is best expressed, most safely and honestly expressed in the context of a covenant marriage relationship, so stop, mar- stop sleeping with folks you're not married to or stop stringing people along or stop using them to gratify your own selfish desires, and maybe that's what you need to hear today. It's a lot easier to address behavior and to deal with the symptoms. But it's more likely that God is also posing questions that go deeper, questions that speak to your soul, questions of motivation and longing, of hurt and healing, of intimacy and intention, questions that will not just dictate what you do, but who you are becoming. What kind of life do you want to live? What kind of community do you want to be a part of? What kind of world do you want to see? Part of me wishes I could stand here today and say that since that day when my best friend and I committed to sharing each other's burdens and walking with each other, I have never watched porn or acted out in unhealthy ways or that since I got married or since I had a kid, I have never struggled with temptation or wrestled with the thoughts and inclinations that come into my head. (laughs) But what if we acknowledge that that is not how life works? That the process of maturity and sanctification of becoming more like Jesus is one of growth and pruning, 
of triumph and defeat, of progress and setback, of identifying the places we need to work on and then picking almost one by one at the cancers that afflict us. Let me be clear. Sexual wholeness is not waiting for you on the other side of a relational status update. Getting married will not magically solve all of your sexual frustrations or longings. It may help in some ways, but it will likely offer you different frustrations and longings in exchange. Becoming a parent will not be the magic switch you need to suddenly become less selfless, although it will give you more opportunities to do so. Being single carries its own beauty and brokenness, desperate longing and relational frustration, but also the unique possibilities of deep friendships and being an example to all of us of of faithfulness in the waiting. What if this wasn't about just fixing it with one wave of a magic wand, but that today we might mark our intention and desire to commit to the journey of becoming more integrated and connected, more like Jesus? And what if we knew it might take some time? As I have continued on this journey of life with God, I have been spending time with my spiritual director unpacking what I might describe as the thorn in my side. I recently told him about how the habits of thought and action feel so formed now that the neural pathway is so deeply grooved that it takes real effort to find the space between impulse and action. What I have been discovering is that the triggers can be anywhere and anything. A picture on Instagram that reminds me of someone I loved once or of a video I once watched a Facebook memory, a smell, a sound, a sense that starts my mind down a train of thought or a trail of reminiscing. After almost 40 years of living and 20 years of pursuing sobriety in this area, it is startling and humbling to know that I'm still discovering the baggage I picked up along the way, and I'm still picking it up. Now, much of my work is unpacking the habits I had created, leveling out the neural pathways that had been developed in becoming aware of God's presence in the midst of it all. Now it is recognizing when I am tempted to return to old habits, not usually to seek sexual release or fulfillment anymore, but to escape the hard realities of the world as it is, or to avoid dealing with the unsettledness of myself as I am. You may be aware of the acronym HALTS. HALTS. It's well known in addiction circles. It stands for Hungry, angry, lonely, tired, and stressed. Those times when we are most vulnerable and most likely to turn to the things that once gave us a little thrill or a form of fulfillment or an escape from the responsibility of being a grown-up, much like the meat pots of Egypt were for the Israelites in the wilderness. And I feel like in COVID, I'm always a bit lonely, a bit tired, and a bit stressed. And particularly these last few years as a person of color, always a bit angry. Now, much of my work is asking the Spirit to help me see and notice, to stop my false self, my instinctual self from pursuing the paths of least resistance to meet a need or distract from conflict or responsibility, and to pursue instead the freedom that comes from life in God's kingdom, life in God's Spirit, life shaped after the life of Jesus. What does sexual wholeness look like for you? Now, is it a breaking of chains, of shame, that have confined you for far too long? Is it a freedom from lies 
that have been told to you about yourself and your body and your worth? Is it a reconstruction of what a positive vision for sexuality can look like with deep friendships and a healthy engagement of our bodies with God's great universe? See, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, Jesus is our Lord and Savior, our King and our teacher and our example. Jesus is the one who, Scripture tells us, lived the fullest, most fulfilled, most quintessentially human life anyone has ever lived. And yet there is no mention that he ever had sexual intercourse, that he ever got married, that he ever had kids. We do not know what whispers went around about this rabbi who was single into his 30s, who consorted with those of ill repute and those who were unclean by the religious standards of the day, who resorted to physical touch a whole lot more than was socially appropriate. We do know that Jesus had deep friendships with both men and women, that he loved God fully and he loved others fully, that he was present in his own body and aware of his own longings. And what that says to me is that sexual wholeness in the manner of Jesus is available to every single one of us right now. Maybe not in all of its fullness and glory on this side of heaven, but in a way that we might be able to show the world and even much of the church that there is a better way than self-gratification. There is a better way than abuse. There is a better way than domination. There is a better way than using one another or mistreating one another or ignoring one another. There is a better way than unhealthy addiction or drowning ourselves in distraction. There is a better way than sitting in the midst of the chains that Jesus has already broken. And it is the way of love. As we love God, as we love our neighbors, as we love ourselves, the love and the peace and the wholeness of God break in like a light piercing the darkness. And the kingdom of God comes a little more on earth as in heaven. The invitation to all of us is to experience life in the kingdom of God. Life as God intended it, life with God in the here and now, and that includes our physical bodies and our whole beings. It starts by coming to Jesus. It's not just one and done. It's, it's every day. It's every moment. When we're feeling tempted, we come to Jesus, one who overcame. When we're feeling joyful, we come to Jesus, the giver of every good thing. When we don't know what to do with our questions, we come to Jesus who knows exactly what we truly need. When we're feeling ashamed of what we've done with our bodies of what, or what we've had done to us, we come to Jesus who took our sin and took our shame and nailed it to the cross and who offers to renew us by making us temples of his cleansing and liberating Holy Spirit. And when we are afraid that our past might disqualify us or our present might disqualify us from knowing the love of God, we come to Jesus who says to all of us, as we are, I know you and I love you. And he gives us a crown of beauty instead of ashes, and the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair so that we might be called oaks of righteousness planted by God, revealing his glory. 
And when we feel alone, we come to Jesus, who has known both the deepest community anyone has ever experienced in the eternal trinity and the deepest loneliness anyone has ever experienced on the cross. And who says, here, this is my body, my family, my church. Come find your home with me. Come find your people among my people. Come find your life in my kingdom. My friends, let's come to Jesus. Let's pray. God, it can be hard to know exactly how to navigate in, in, in an area of life where we hear extremes. We hear either we, don't, we, don't, we, should, we shouldn't tell anybody anything about anything that goes on or let's just be, let's flaunt it. Let's just be open with it, completely open with it. And, and instead, Lord, you ask us to, to hold particularly this part of ourselves, our souls, our stories with the tenderness that is required when something is sacred. The care that is required. Just like the way you hold each of us. The way you hold each of our souls, each of our stories with their scars, with their wounds, with our joys. You hold each of us and God, I believe that you are speaking even now to folks who are tuning in, who are listening. God, your spirit is raising our awareness of things that, that you want to bring your light to, things that you want to bring your healing to, things that you want to speak your words of affirmation, of acceptance, of love, of change, of an invitation to more more life, more depth, more integration, more truth. And so God, in, in, these, in these moments, especially if we, we, we don't know where to go right now, would you speak your words of love over us? Would you sing your words of love over us? And no matter what we are feeling, no matter what we are wrestling with, no matter what shame tries to cloud out your voice, we are still yours. And there is nothing that can separate us from your love. God, would you walk with us on this journey? Because it is a journey. We would, we would love to just wave a wand or say one prayer and be done with it. And that might be how you work, but for many of us, it will be a journey continuing journey. Help us to trust you. Give us the people to walk with. And give us the vision of what you long for us. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.